If you'll turn to uh, Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Be our text today. Psalm 78, starting with verse 9 to uh, 24. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in His law and forgot His works and His wonders that He showed them. Marvelous things did He in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through and made the waters to stand as in heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and all the night with lights of fire. He clave the rock in the wilderness, and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock, and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him, by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart, by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spent against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, He smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can He give us bread also? Can He provide flesh for His people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also came up against Israel because they believed not in God and trusted not in His salvation. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, Thou art a gracious God. Thou art a merciful God. Thou art a God who is faithful, long-suffering, God of all grace for which we praise you. We just bow at thy feet this morning to give thee glory and give thee praise because thou art our God. Thou art my God, the lifter up of my head, the deliverer of my never-dying soul. And we praise thee that thou hast given thy Son who is willing to come made in the likeness of human flesh that he might take that perfect holy and righteous body to the cross and lay it down as the sacrifice for our sins so that you could say in thy word that God hath made him sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him what an exchange the holy and righteous God for the ungodly sinner. He who sits upon the throne that hates sin, dying in the place of he whose sins he hates. And our Father, we, we, we just praise you this morning for thy great grace that you've given us this past week for all of the material that's gone out from this place. We thank you, Father, for Every penny of money that you have sent in, how gracious you have been to keep 
thy ministry going. We thank thee for thy goodness toward us in that you have raised up so many friends across the nation who work in the prisons and other places. Or like our friend in Eagle Pass, Texas, John Monk, who gives all this Spanish material away to those pastors in Mexico. How we praise thee and thank thee for this. And our Father, we do praise thy name this morning that thou art upon the throne and doeth all things well. Everything is under thy control and we can trust you. Thou art the trustworthy God because thou art faithful. You can't lie. You never lied to us and you never will because you don't change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I praise you for it. Now, my Father, Thou knowest those that are away from us at this hour and this week. We do pray for them that Thy blessings and mercies will rest upon them. We pray, our Heavenly Father, for the precious souls that You've sent this way this morning. Deal mightily and effectually with each and every one of our hearts. And we do pray that thy word will be written upon each and every one of our hearts. My Father, we, we, we ask you in Christ's name. We beg of you by the Holy Spirit who fills us. Take thy word home. We desire for this word to go home to our hearts, especially mine. And our Father, as we look and see but you'd have us to know this morning by thy grace. We ask for the sick in our midst that thy hand will rest upon them. We pray for all of those on the prayer list. Thank you, Father, for the two young women that you turned loose there in Afghanistan. You've answered many a prayer for them. We praise you and thank you for it. And our Father, look to thee to lead us and guide us. Have mercy upon us this next week as we labor in thy vineyard. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And I was ready in your hearing the ninth through the 24th verses of uh, Psalm 78. I've got written across the title, the top of this psalm, the biography of sin. And that's exactly what it is. I wish you'd read it with that thought in mind. 72 verses and see how many times sin the people's sin, talking about Israel, <clears throat> how God had delivered, delivered, and delivered, and delivered again. And yet they went on in their unbelief. Most of my messages come by reading the Scriptures. I just take a book each week and try to read through it and mark it and ask God to give me out of that, what he would have us for Sunday, and he doesn't fail. 
last week's message on humility came out of reading in the book of Luke. The message this morning came out of the book of Mark. <clears throat> I reading through it. And God speaks to our hearts. And I don't know every message I trust that God will take home to our hearts. But I pray that he will write upon our hearts this morning this word. We'll not get away from it. <clears throat> and that he will deal with our hearts. I want to speak in my first point this morning on the evil of unbelief from this chapter. And then my second point, the glory and power of faith, as mentioned in Abraham's life in Romans chapter 4. Bear with us, ask God to use it, and I hope you came to hear, I hope you came to ask God to give you that which is needful for your hearts. And when we come to the house of God, that's what we should do. We should ask God to write that word upon our hearts and give us that blessing that we stand in need of or that that uh, confession or repentance or faith or if he has to if he has to use the sword to break us down or the grace to lift us up whatever it is he knows what we need and we can trust him to give it to us and i praise him for that praise him that he's a faithful god now, I do want you to read the 78th Psalm, all of it, very slowly and prayerfully, if not this afternoon, sometime this week, and see how God dealt with Israel and how they walked in unbelief for 40 years. Let's read verses 17 through 22 again. And they sin yet more, provoking him against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Watch these words now. Yea, they spake against God. That's unbelief. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out, and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. He was mad. Their unbelief. They're complaining. They're murmuring. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also came up against Israel because they believed not in God and trusted not his salvation. The scripture says that they spoke against God by asking the question of unbelief. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? After all the signs and wonders he had done. After all the miracles he had performed. They provoked him to anger by calling his power and his willingness into question. In short, they called him a liar. After all he had done. They were not willing to trust him to do more and more and more and more. For when God undertakes, he doesn't go halfway with us. 
He goes all the way, all the way home. He undertakes for us and will continue to undertake for us until we get to glory. That's the reason when you go to Hebrews chapter 3, you will notice why and how this was written to show the people. Listen to chapter 3 of Hebrews verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Spirit saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter my, into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For if we are made partakers of Christ, if we, if we hold fast the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation when they provoked God to anger and to wrath. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, albeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. For with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let us therefore, verse 4, chapter 4, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering to his rest, any of you seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Verse 11, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So in this whole chapter of Hebrews 3, he's warning, against, warning us then against this sin of unbelief. So that's what God wants us to do this morning, to stop and consider what our heart's attitude is toward the God of the Bible. Do we call into question his power and his willingness to undertake for us Did you hear the question? What is our heart's attitude toward the God of the Bible? Do we call into question his power and willingness to undertake for us? Do we say, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Can the unsaved say, can God save me and keep me? His word says he can. And that's what we that's what we have to believe. That's the only thing we have to stand on is the eternal word of God. That word that cannot change. That word is forever written in heaven. His word says that he can. Hebrews seven twenty five. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost 
that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Wherefore he is able also to save. Can God save me and keep me? Said he can. And in Jude 24, unto him that is able to keep you, to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. So these questions, this question, can God save me? Yes. His word declares it, that he is able and willing. That's what he came for, to save the chiefest of sinners. Go through the word of God. Who was Abraham? An idolater in the era of the Chaldees. Did God save him? He became the father of the faithful. There was Jacob, his grandson. His name means supplanter, the rascal. Did God save him? Well, he made him Israel, the prince of God. Had mercy upon him. They lived on the <clears throat> they lived on the wall of Jericho. A harlot by the name of Rahab. Of all the people in the city of Jericho that God dealt with was a, a harlot by the name of Rahab. She believed God, and God had mercy upon her. The wickedest man that ever lived was Manasseh who became king after his father Hezekiah. He made blood flow in the streets of Jerusalem like water. And yet when he repented and called upon the name of the Lord, God had mercy upon him and delivered him from going down to the pit. Can God save me? Yes. The scripture says that there was a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. Who was she? She was a demon-possessed soul. And Christ cast them all out, and he's able to do that continuously. God is able to make us new creations in Christ Jesus, and that's exactly what he said he would do. Unto those who are in Christ, they have become new creations. And then there was Peter. Who would have thought after three times denying that I never knew this man? And the last time, he cursed with it. And yet when he met the Lord Jesus Christ with bitter tears of repentance, what did God do? He had mercy upon him. He had mercy upon him. And then you would go to the <clears throat> seventh chapter of Acts, into the eighth chapter of Acts, ninth chapter of Acts, and you see by a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, a blasphemer, a murderer, a perjurer, you name it. And they were there. He had it. What did God do for him? God saved him and made him Paul, the apostle, and gave him a, a, a ministry to the Gentiles. Can God give me a new heart? I had that question asked me the other week. Can God give me a new heart? Well, he said that he would. And I've told you a hundred times or more in illustrating this out of Ezekiel 36, 26, that I coupled 
these words with Titus 1-2, then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, 25th verse of Ezekiel 36, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Beloved, that's one of the most precious scriptures in the Bible. God said he would do this. And when when I was under Holy Spirit conviction, I coupled these verses with Titus 1-2, where it says that God cannot lie. And I told him. I come before him. I said, you told me you'd give me a new heart and you cannot lie. And I come to you to give it to me. Did he give it to me? Yes, sir. He sure did. And he hadn't taken it away. But he's caused me to walk. Watch. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put away with you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. Watch it. And I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. And that's what he's, that's what he's done. And cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. In other words, God's power is so great that when he gives us a new heart, he puts his Holy Spirit within us that causes us to walk in the way of righteousness and true holiness. And our power comes from the living God. Can God give me a new heart? His word says that he would. And how am I going to get repentance? Well, God said he'd give it to you. Will he give it to me? Well, here's the scripture. Him hath God exalted with the right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So come to Christ. How do I come to Christ? Just as I am. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Don't get tired of me saying it. We come without one plea, he'll give us two. Without one plea, I come to thee. Because thy blood has been shed for me. That's one plea. And that thou bidst me come to thee, that's a second plea. So, oh Lord, I come. I come. So we come to Christ. We come to Christ for everything. He's the goat between, between us and the Father. <coughs> the, the living God. He is God himself. He stands as our substitute. And he gives us what is needful. For the salvation that he gives. Blessed salvation that he gives. Is he able to show me my heart? Is he able to reveal my depravity to my soul? Is he able to expose my vileness and my wickedness? Is he able to cause me to cry out, Woe is me, for I am undone. 
Or, like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7:24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Beloved, we come back to Him all the time. We cannot do without Jesus Christ our Lord. We must come in His name. We must come in His person. We must come in Him. And when we come in Him, and God has mercy upon us, then Romans 8, 1 applies to our hearts. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Is He able to make me sorry for sin and to cry over sin? Here's a precious scripture that you ought to memorize and take it with you continuously. Found in Jeremiah 31, verses 18 through 20. I have, the Lord said, I've surely heard Ephraim bemoan himself thus, Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented, and after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yet even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Did God show him his heart? Of course he did. He goes on down, he says, I will, the Lord said, I will surely have mercy upon him and have mercy upon you. He had mercy upon me. He'll have mercy on every soul that comes to him. For he draws them with the cords of kindness and the cords of love unto himself. Don't be full of unbelief, but trust him. Is he able? to lead me to the place of confession and repentance. Proverbs 28:13 reads, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. Confess that sin of unbelief. Confess that sin that you have not come to him. You've called him a liar, but he's still dealing with you this morning. For whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. That's a precious promise. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. I never will forget. When I was working at Stand Supply and Hardware Company in New Orleans, I was in a tight situation. And a question was asked me, did I do so-and-so? The easiest way out was to lie about it. And I did. But God heard me. He wouldn't leave me alone. And one Saturday, I was sick. But I sat up and I wrote four letters each one of the executives of that country, company from the president on down. And in it, I quoted this verse of scripture. 
And all, all four of them read it Monday morning. I wasn't there. All, all of them read it Monday morning. And my boss, the executive vice president, he rang me on the phone. And he said, Leroy, what in the world is the matter with you? You didn't have to do that. But God wanted them to have that scripture as much as you wanted me to have that scripture. And they never got over it. And a, a couple of years later, I had one of those vice presidents tell me that he appreciated <clears throat> me giving him that scripture. That he couldn't prosper by covering his sins, but confessing it. Will God do this for me? Of course he will. Four times in the New Testament, <clears throat> we are told to flee. Is God able <clears throat> to give me grace to forsake sin? Everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. 2 Timothy 2.19 But in 1 Corinthians 6.18 we read, Flee fornication. In 1 Corinthians 10.14 we read, Flee idolatry. In 2 Timothy 2.22 we read, Flee youthful lust. In 1 Timothy 6.11 we read, Flee the love of money. Well, brother, let me tell you something. If God commands it, He'll give grace to do it. We can rest upon that. If He commands it, we can do it by His grace. He will work His grace in us. He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We do not have to say or question Him, can He supply a table in the wilderness? Brother, He's been supplying a table in the wilderness for me for decades. And He'll continue to do it by His almighty grace and by His almighty power. And then... We can say with the Apostle Paul. And it was left there for our learning and for our admonition. In 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Christ Jesus might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should he have to believe on him to life everlasting. Paul said he was a, an example, a pattern. And that none should <clears throat> stay away, but should come running to him. Cast yourself upon him, even with all your unbelief. Cast yourself upon him by his grace. Will he help me, brother? He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Now let me ask you a question. You who claim to be children of God, do you believe that God is able to supply all things for you? He has declared himself to be possessed of all power in heaven and in earth. 
He told Abraham, I am the Almighty God. He said to Abraham, the All-Sufficient, the All-Supplying, the All-Nourishing God, I will undertake for you. And he will, and he never will leave us nor forsake us. His illustrations, I don't know what God's done for anybody else like I've told you, but I know what he's done for me. I never will forget when I went in the hospital in February 71 in Minneapolis for my third back operation. I had not a penny of money to my name. Not a penny. And I told them that. But I told them that they didn't have to worry about it. They would have their money. God would see to it that they gave... That they would have their money. I would sign any note, do anything. When I was operating on a Monday, didn't see a doctor all week long. Friday morning, the Lord woke up about 6.30 with Genesis 17.1. Abraham, Abraham, I am the Almighty God. And I knew what that word Almighty meant. It meant the all-sufficient one. The all-supplying one, the all-nourishing one, the breasted one on whom we lean. And I began to weep for joy because I knew God was going to supply. He doesn't give us his word just to tease us. I knew that he's the all-sufficient one, the all-supplying one, the all-nourishing one. And I wanted to trust him that he would undertake for me. And the same doctor came in at afternoon about 2.30 who had told me that I <clears throat> was all in my head, the pain I had in my back and leg. Because I couldn't explain to him where the pain was. It hurt so bad. And he came in at a day that afternoon and he said, I owe you an apology. I said, for what? He said, you don't know it, but I was in that operating room on Monday, and that was the worst disc I've ever seen. And he asked me if I knew anything about the compensation laws of Minnesota, and I said, no. He says, well, I do. That was the end of it. Monday came. They told me I could go home. I went down to the cashier. Told him I didn't have a bit of money. I'd sign a note or do anything they wanted me to do. They said, well, go on home. Got to study to take care of it. So I went home. And the doctor went to the insurance company of the place I worked for in Lynchfield. They paid every bill that I had incurred in Lynchfield. They paid every doctor, hospital bill, and everything in Minneapolis and then he declared me 15% disabled and gave me, gave me, the insurance company gave me $3,000. And with that $3,000 was the down payment on our building in Litchfield on Main Street for all of our work. He's the Almighty God. Amen. He I don't mind, I, I never get tired telling that story. Never get tired telling that story. Because he's a faithful God. And beloved, that's the word we should understand. Somebody asked me the other night on the phone, do you ever worry about that ministry? 
as large as it is, and you walk by faith, and nobody to support it except the hearts that God lays to send the money in. I said, no. I've seen my God work too many times. Why should I doubt Him? Why should I be full of unbelief? He doesn't want me to be that way. He wants me to walk in faith. He's the Almighty God. The all-nourishing God. The all-supplying God. Brother, there's no room for unbelief. He doesn't want us to walk in unbelief. He wants us to trust Him. And He will supply according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Either God's Word is true. Listen to me. Either God's Word is true or God is a liar. And the Scripture says in Romans 3, Let every man be a liar and let God be true. He can't lie. <clears throat> he can be trusted. Let us give Him the glory. Let us give Him the praise and thanksgiving for the favors and deliverance. If we do not trust Him, if we do not believe that He is willing to deliver again and again and again and again, if he, if he told Peter, Peter says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? Oh, no, Peter. 490 times, innumerable times. Well, if he told Peter to forgive 490 times, he's God. And in Christ Jesus our Lord, he'll forgive a million times. That doesn't give me the right to sin and bank on forgiveness after that, no. But it does give me the courage and boldness by the grace of God to trust Him. He will do again what He's done before. And He will do it again and again and again. He can't fail and He can't lie. When He heard those unbelieving and murmuring thoughts of the Israelites in the wilderness, His wrath was kindled against Him. Beloved, we do not want to have God's wrath against us. We want to trust Him and believe Him. We want to come to Him and believe that He will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think by the power that worketh in us. Now, if you think your condition is bad sometimes, stop and consider... Those three million Jews. Think with me now and see if God <clears throat> will not give you faith to trust Him. The greatest illustration in the whole Bible of God's patience and long suffering and leadership is with the Israelites in the wilderness. But watch where they were. They had to live by faith, they had to walk by faith. The people of Israel were brought out of Egypt, but they knew not one step of the way that they were to take. They knew they were going to the promised land, but none of them had ever been to Palestine. had been in Egypt for 430 years. Not one of them had been there. The people of Israel were brought out of Egypt, but they knew not one step of the way that they were to take. And neither do I. I don't trust him. 
They took no food or water with them. That is, enough to last more than two or three days. And then after that, what they were, what were they going to do? Out there with no water, with no <clears throat> nothing to eat. They were incapable of protecting themselves against any enemy that come against them. <clears throat> they had to pass through a country infested with wild beasts, a land full of obstacles that to them were insurmountable. They were in a desert 40 years with the heat by day and the cold by night. There was the matter of clothing, having children, caring for the young, sanitary conditions. What were they going to do? The answer to all of this was, the Lord God of heaven had to lead them. They had to trust Him. And Mermin complained all the way. And brethren, when God saves us, we were in the same we in the same place. We've never walked this way before. I never lived by faith until God saved me. And I really knew, I really never really knew what deep, deep faith in the living God was. And they gave us a vision of a worldwide ministry 28 years ago, and he said, now, trust me. And I'm always liking the fact that he threw me out in the ocean, he said, now, swim. And everything that God's done for 28 years since he gave us that vision... I've never known, but everything we've ever prayed for and asked for, He has given. And He gave it to them too. He gave them manna from heaven, six days a week. The sixth day He doubled it so they could eat on the seventh. There was a rock that followed them. Wouldn't you like to have seen that? There was a rock that followed them. And Moses had struck it and out came water. And we read there in Psalm 78 that waters and rivers of water flowed through the desert. He took care of them. He protected them from every enemy when they come against him. To take care of the heat by day, there was a pillar, there was a cloud that covered them from the heat of the desert. To take care of the coolness and coldness at night, pillar of fire covered them. He took care of them. When it came to their clothes, the scripture says their clothes and their shoes never wore out for 40 years. And the women had children they had to raise the young. And then there was the matter, the, the matter of sanitary conditions. But God took care of all of that. He provided all things. And beloved, He'll do the same thing for us. And this next statement I'm, I'm going to make, I've thought of it many and many a time. A newborn infant was as capable of providing for itself 
as the Israelites were, yet they were to continue this journey without fear, knowing that he had begun the good work and would perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. They didn't know what was coming, what was going to happen, but they had to trust him. And there were some in that group that did trust him and believed him. He wants us to do the same thing. Now, the question is often asked me, where do I get such kind of faith? How does this kind of faith come? Well, let's go to Romans chapter 4. <clears throat> the whole story is found in Genesis 18, where God, and the Lord Jesus Christ had come down himself <clears throat> and spoke to Abraham and to Sarah and told them that in one year from that time they would have a son to name him Isaac he was going to be the seed that would bless all the nations of the earth. The only problem with that was that Sarah was past age to have children and Abraham was no longer potent. He couldn't produce children <clears throat> at a hundred years of age. But listen to what he what happened in Romans 4, verse 18. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Watch it. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able also to perform. That's faith, brother. And God gave him that faith. He believed him. Now, how did this faith come about? I believe the secret, I know the secret of Abraham's faith was that he gave glory to God. God's glory <clears throat> was what he was concerned with. That is the secret of strong faith. This, that, is, that really is the very essence of faith, giving glory to God. Faith is ultimately that which gives glory to God. In other words, as we give glory to God, we shall be made strong ourselves and our faith shall be strong. This was the secret of Abraham's remarkable faith. Instead of looking at the difficulties in terms of his own body or the age of Sarah, instead of staggering to greatness of the promise. Now, unbelief could have brought, unbelief could have brought him down in two areas. He could look at he could look at the greatness of the promise, utterly impossible. And he could look on the other hand, and he could see the deadness of Sarah's womb and his own deadness, impossible. But he didn't look at that. He looked at God. He looked to God. 
Brother, God's word is true. We can trust him. Instead of stumbling at these two things, he kept his eye upon the living God. He gave glory to God. In other words, he contemplated and he meditated upon all the glorious attributes of God. Now, you have been here any length of time, no. I've preached over and over on the attributes of God. That's what has stuck with me. That's what faith lays hold of, is the living God as revealed in his attributes, and especially the attribute of his faithfulness. He's always provided, and he's never lied, and he never will lie. We can commit ourselves to him. And therefore, faith grows. Faith lays hold of the eternity of God. He is God. He can't lie. He meditated upon that. He thought about and reminded himself of the majesty of God. There's nothing that's so glorious about the being of God as his majesty. And therefore, he dwelt upon that. And if you'll find, you'll read the story of of great men of faith, they constantly looked at the majesty of God and the glory of God. And they contemplated upon the glory of God. And that hymn came to their minds, Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the Ancient of Days. Almighty, victorious, thy great name be praised. And then he looked at the attribute of God's omnipresence, that God was everywhere. There was no place in the whole world where God was not manifested. If I ascend up in heaven, thou art there, Psalm 139. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Where shall I go from thy spirit, or where shall I flee from thy presence? It is impossible. God is everywhere, so he can be trusted everywhere. There's no place that God leads us that he cannot take care of us, that he doesn't know where we are, what our circumstances are, or all about us. So Abraham meditating upon his, uh, his omniscience, that is, that God knows everything. God knew that he was dead sexually, that <clears throat> Sarah's womb was dead. God knew that. Abraham meditated upon that and said, well, if God knows all about it, and yet he gave this glorious promise, he can be trusted. He can be believed. Beloved, God is not honored by unbelief. He is honored by faith to trust Him. That's the way God is honored. God is honored when we trust Him and put our faith in Him. And He's never lied. He never will put us to shame. He meditated upon God's foreknowledge. And that God knew all about it. He meditated upon His omnipotence. That is his power. 
And brethren, when he began to meditate upon God's power, I know what he thought. Well, God's all-powerful. God can do anything. There's not anything that he cannot do. Therefore, I can trust him to do the impossible. And that's what he wants me to do. And that's what he said. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able also to perform. Brethren, there's not a difficulty that God cannot work out. There's not a situation that God has allowed us to get into that he cannot bring us out of for his glory and give us grace to walk in it. He can be trusted. I'm here to tell you all about it this morning. Because I know he can be trusted. I'm going to trust him every day. And why should we doubt him when, when we have seen his faithfulness over and over and over again. He's the almighty God, the all-sufficient God, the all-supplying God, the eternal God. He has power that is absolute. Nobody can come against him. I've always, I've always made this, I've always told God for 28 years now since he laid this ministry on my heart. I've, been, I've told him, I said, Lord, at any time, you can write a requisition against any bank account, against any stock account. It's yours. And I've seen him do that over and over again, over the years for his glory. And then he thought upon the righteousness of God, that God was truthful. God was holy. God was unchangeable. God was everlasting. Brethren, when you come to look at God like this, how can you fail? There's no unbelief. There shouldn't be any unbelief. There should be faith in the living God. How do we get that faith? Meditate upon the attributes of God. Meditate upon His goodness. Upon His graciousness. Upon His mercifulness towards you. Upon His long-suffering towards you. His patience towards you. His faithfulness towards you. That He's all-powerful, the unchanging God. Meditate upon these things. We're made to ask, how in the world am I going to come out of this situation I find myself to be in now? Well, I had a long talk with my dear brother Steve Watson on Friday. And he poured out his heart for the difficulties he was going through with. And I was able to tell him, Dear brother, trust the Lord. God's preparing you for something greater. I said, I'd like to tell you, if I could, my life story of what God done for me. The things he's brought me through to teach me. And brother, if God's ever going to use us, he's got to bring us, he's got to bring us down to the grave. If he's ever going to use us, he's got to put us through every kind of test imaginable. Allow everything, everything imaginable to come upon us. If he's going to use us, 
We're going to be full of afflictions and trials and sufferings and misunderstandings. Our name will be kicked around like a football in mud. We will be the filth and the offscourging of the earth, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4. But that's all right. God's preparing us. Preparing us for what? To trust Him. Do you mind hearing one more time my saying that I've told you a thousand times from this pulpit? The God I serve, the God of the Bible, is a faithful God. He's never lied to me. He's never put me to shame. And He's never brought me to the cliff and shoved me off. And He never will. He's faithful. I ain't bragging on myself this morning. I'm bragging on my living God. I know that he's faithful. I know what he's done. I know what he's able to do. And I know what he's able to provide for. According to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He's God. And beside him, there is none other. God doesn't tease us. He told Isaiah, Isaiah put it down. He said, I did not tell Israel to seek me in vain. Can I tell you something else? There is not a mission work that God has called this church to do that first started in this heart of mine. God laid it there. God gave me the promise to plead it. And then I had to wait to see it come to pass. And he's kept it going after he started it. I had to wait for the prison ministry. When it started, for a year and a half, you know what I did? Every prisoner that wrote, I, I gave a Bible, Naves, Naves and Vines and Strong's Concordance. I had to box it up and ship it to them. After a year and a half, I said, I can't keep this up. We've got to do something else. And that's when God began to give us the booklets to print. I remember when God laid on my heart the Institute. Years and years we waited. Until God sent Joe Jackowitz here in December of 94. <clears throat> we began to talk and discuss it. And I saw God began to open it up. I could go on and on. What I'm, what I'm telling you all of this for this morning is this. He can set a table in the wilderness. And we can trust him. Come on, Pastor, come down to earthly things now. <laughs> I see you walking with a... I see you walking with a stick. I see you always suffering. You're never without pain. Why would God put you through all that? To cause me to trust Him. And I might be able to tell you that He's a faithful God who can keep you under every circumstance that there is. Abraham meditated upon the attributes of God. He knew that God could not lie, could not change his mind. He could not contradict himself. He never goes back on what he has said. 
his eternal righteousness and uprightness and truthfulness are there all the time and the promise he will bring to pass. The promise is sure because God knows what he's doing. And more than that, God will never take back, never go back on it. His truth is always the same. He never changes his point of view. If God, if God has taught you his gracious truth of his sovereignty, he's not going to go back on it. You can rest right there. The whole world can come against you. But you can wait upon the Lord. He'll do exactly what he said he will do. And what he didn't do was to dwell on the impossibility of it all. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And that's what we should do. And being fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able also to perform. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to remind him of his faithfulness. He wants us to remind him of his promises. Or to plead his promises. All the promises are yea and amen in Christ. And under him we can come and continue to come knowing that there's nothing too hard for our God. Nothing too hard for our God. I'm quite certain that those two young ladies in that jail in Kabul, Afghanistan, was in a, an impossible situation which they could never get out of unless God intervened. But they said they trusted the Lord. And that's what he wants us to do. Now, I've got to close. How am I going to close? Remember, faith is that which always glorifies God. So trust him. Walk with him. If the least bit of unbelief slips into the mind and Satan throws that dart to have you cast, to have you start thinking along the line of unbelief, take it right away to Christ. Take it to the blood. Take it to Calvary. Lay it down there. Because you want to glorify God. You don't want to go, you don't want to be found in unbelief. You want to be found glorifying God. 
Well, supposing I'm losing everything. Glorify God. I wish I could tell you more. All I know is that the God I serve is a faithful God. And I don't want to be found in unbelief. I want to be found found glorifying Him, believing that He'll bring to pass the things that He has promised. Search His Word. Lay hold of His promises. Lay hold of His attributes. Look to the faithful God. Nothing glorifies God more than for us to believe His Word. Nothing insults God more than not to believe his word. For he says in Hebrews 11, 6, He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Everything else is unbelief. And beloved, we don't want to be like the Israelites in the wilderness. We want to be like Abraham. Tell him that. Lord, I don't want to be found in unbelief. I want to be. I want it to be said of me that he that, that he staggered not at the promise of God to unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. I told somebody on the phone last night. I says, when I'm dead and gone, I says, you be sure that there were nothing that goes out of this place that says the founder of this work was L.R. Sheldon Jr. I says, I want to be forgotten. What you want to put on there, the founder of this work was the living God who cannot lie. That's what you want to put on there. You'll, you'll see this on a lot of, a lot of stationary <clears throat> of different works founded by well, brother, this was founded by the living God. And I know this, he knows it, and we both know it. And we give him glory for it continuously. He wants us to follow him. He wants us to trust him. And whatever he lays on, his, lay on, our, lays on our heart, and let's do. Believe him. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all, that we ask or think by the power that worketh in us. Did I tell you the truth? I sure did. He's a precious Lord. And if you come back tonight, I'll preach on that verse of Scripture, Song of Solomon 5.16. Yea, He is altogether lovely. He's the lovely one. And I love to meditate upon Him. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. 
our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.